Well, hey, everyone. How you holding up? We're going to outlast this thing, aren't we? You know, I know it's been kind of tough being trapped together in the same place. I, I think I'm starting to get on Carla's nerves a little bit. Uh, about day 35 of the quarantine, she said she wanted to take up gardening, but she won't tell me what she's going to plant. <laughs> so I don't know. Be kind to each other, y'all. Hey, a while back, we landed on what we believe is a God-given vision for Mountain called Dare to Dream. A lot of you, of course, remember that. It was all about stretching to connect to people who are far from God and strengthening our core of our church, making all of us more mature in the faith and spreading to to what God is doing through us up and down the 95 corridor and beyond. And to make all that happen, we accepted this challenge to take the dare, to really do something that matters for God. And it's been so encouraging to see all the commitments that were made and the ministry that we've accomplished as a result of take the dare. Well, one of the weird things, of course, that we're all dealing with is that in this shelter-in-place reality, it's kind of this sense of being trapped, like, I don't know what I can really do. Ministry kind of feels like it, it, it's a little bit like hemmed in a little bit. So I love seeing how creative all y'all are being in some of the powerful ways you're serving, like in your own neighborhoods or dropping off food, making masks, stuff like that. You're really taking the dare and you are making a difference. But here's the deal. Today, I'm announcing something really important because it's time to take this thing to a whole other level, okay? We're about to unleash something that everyone can get on board with and get really excited about. Amid so much like fear and worry and concern about the economy and negative news about corona, we're going to throw in a whole lot of love just to balance some things out, okay? It's called Dare to Love. Because it doesn't matter how much we're shut down or closed up or quarantined off. We're going to dare to love. That's who we are. Specifically, for every case of COVID-19 in the state of Maryland, we're going to unleash a deliberate act of love in Jesus' name. What do you say we match that virus one for one by making love go viral all over the place? Like, right now, there's over 30,000 cases of coronavirus in Maryland. So we're going to need everybody in on this. This isn't all play, but we can do this. And that number is still growing. So we're just going to absolutely have to get creative and get after it. But what do you say we chase it down and match and exceed coronavirus cases with acts of love? So here's how it works. We've identified some important kind of actions and tangible things that we can do that will really make a difference right now. Let's Take those negative letters, C-O-V-I-D, and make them positive. So C stands for celebrate. Celebrate a graduate by adopting a senior. We just need to bless people who got robbed of all their graduating year festivities. And you, you may already know someone or we'll match you up. That's C. O stands for offer to help someone financially. Maybe help them with groceries or rent or whatever it is. Unemployment's high, as you know, and we just need to offer um, help financially in a way that'll really make a difference. And V stands for volunteer. Maybe it's providing a meal for an everyday hero or an essential worker, or write a note of encouragement to a nurse, or send a card to someone in the hospital or nursing home, deliver food to a neighbor, or through meal, Meals on Wheels, we're going to partner with them. I stands for intentionally pray for others. And D, dream up something on your own. Anything you can think of with your family or friends or small group or something like that, see a need, meet it, and go do something kind. 
All right. So there's all kinds of information about this on our website, but let's just go crazy turning those letters into something positive. Now to reach our goal, by the end of June, when this series is over, we're going to need everybody to do this. So start deciding now how you're going to jump in. All right. And we're serious about unleashing more acts of love than there are Corona cases. So we're going to keep track actually. So you got to help us with that because I think it's going to be really exciting when we watch this. We've been watching the numbers of the infection go up and up and up. Now we get to watch as demonstrations of love in Jesus' name and kindness and things like that will zoom past those numbers because that's just how we do, right people? So here's the challenge. You got to do this by June 30. That's when our series ends and this is a big, hairy, audacious goal. 30 thousand plus acts of love by the end of June, but we can do it. All right. Now here's some good news. We just served 950 people at the Abingdon food giveaway. Okay. Boom. Right there. 950 acts of love. All right. We have a prayer meeting on zoom every day. We just had 12 people show up at the last one. 12 more acts of love right there. See, some Edgewood folk delivered 12 thank you cards to workers. Boom, 12 more. A bunch of mountain volunteers made 450 masks. You add all that up. Since we started this, we already have over 3,000 acts of love. See, so everything like that counts. We've got some momentum already going, so let's get after it, okay? The nature of this crisis can turn us all inward and make us kind of think of ourselves, but that's not Jesus' way. I know the mountain people. We're Jesus' people, and he's calling us to outlove this thing one act of kindness at a time. So let's do this, all right? Starting now. Ready? Go. Let's make the love of Jesus just go viral, all right? Dare to love. Now, uh, we're starting a new series today. It's interesting that a Wall Street Journal article reported on a study saying, quote, a growing body of scientific evidence shows that Americans who attend religious services at least once a week enjoy better than average health, lower rates of illness, including depression. Perhaps most important, the, the, the quote goes on, studies show that weekly attendance confers significant reduction in mortality over a period of time. This study actually showed that participating in a church community is good for your health and lowered your mortality rate by 25%. The medical professor who chaired the panel concludes, after seeing this data, I think I should go to church. There you go, folks. How about that for Mountain's new motto? Go to Mountain or die. I like it. How about you? Here's the thing. Actually, nobody can go to church these days. We're all staying at least six feet apart, right? But that hasn't kept us from coming together online. And here's what else is going on. Coronavirus has created this huge disruption in everything, not just in our daily lives and routines, but inside of us, hasn't it? We all know about it. There, there, there's fear and there's confusion everywhere. This upheaval has brought with it a lot of questions to the surface. I think they were kind of there all along, but I think we were just too comfortable or busy to care. But now we've got these big questions, big ones like life and meaning and where do we find hope and questions about God, questions about suffering. Why do bad things happen? And what is Christianity about anyway? And how, how can we believe any of this stuff? Those are big questions. And if you've got doubts, questions, especially now in these circumstances, but answers kind of seem out of reach. These are messages designed for you 
especially if you don't believe in God or have big hangups with Christianity or things just don't make sense. So next week we start with just, is it even reasonable to believe in God? Can anyone but an idiot be a Christian? Doesn't science kind of prove that this Christianity is made up? Then we're going to talk about um, how to live when you're moving into the unknown. Like when you don't know what the future holds, what do you do? And then we're going to talk about why so many bad things can happen and how God can still claim to be in charge and good. Suffering, what's up with that? That's a little bit of where we're headed. And I hope you're going to make it a commitment to participate every week, not just because it's good for your health, but because we all need to come to clarity and get settled on some of these really important things. And also, I honestly, I hope you'll share an invitation with someone who doesn't believe, who rejects God, who's struggling with their faith, or just has hangups with Christianity, because this is an important conversation. I just hope you'll invite people who need to be a part of this, because they're maybe finding that answers are like six feet apart right now. Let's dive in today. Because I firmly believe that what we're facing right now is one of the most important inflection points in our lives. I don't, I'm not exaggerating when I say that what we're experiencing with this coronavirus crisis is an incredible opportunity, like I've never seen it in my lifetime. It's a disruption that is forcing us to take a good, hard, honest look at our gods. Yeah, at our gods. Because we all, Christians and non-religious people, have this irresistible habit of placing our trust and our confidence and our hope in stuff that isn't the one true God. And in calm, kind of business-as-usual times, it kind of works for a lot of people. These gods kind of seem to deliver a reasonably good life. But right now, all that's been stripped away and everything's kind of dismantled. And assumptions are up in the air. And these lesser gods have been exposed as worthless idols which means this is a very important moment to decide what or whom you're going to trust moving forward. Let's look at it from Scripture and then society at large, and then we'll get real personal, okay? About 586 BC, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar is the king of the mighty, expansive, seemingly untouchable Babylonian empire. But Nebuchadnezzar can't sleep at night, maybe because, as Shakespeare says, Uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. He's got a lot on his mind. He's tossing and turning. He has a bad dream. So he summons his magicians and prophets and says, tell me the meaning of my dream. And they shrug. They're like, we can't do that, but I know a guy. And they go get this faithful Hebrew named Daniel, who says to the king, I can interpret your dream, but God can. And God reveals it all to Daniel, who then says to Nebuchadnezzar, in your dream, here's, what, here's what's going on. There's this huge idol or statue of a figure, this gigantic, dazzling, awesome statue, like a, a god with a huge head of gold and a chest and arms made of silver and a body and thighs that are made of brass. And then it had these strong iron legs. So you got this towering, powerful, godlike figure, fearsome and strong, every part of it made with metal to symbolize its strength and stability. But the feet, Daniel says, they're not made of metal, at least not all the way through. They got some iron in there, but they got clay mixed in. This whole thing, this big God stands on feet of clay. And Daniel tells him, he says, that statue, that, that idol, that's, that's your empire. Because it looks impressive and immovable right now, but it's on a fragile base. And it can't stand. And it's going to crumble. Because... It's got feet of clay. 
And that's exactly what happens. And that phrase you've heard of, I'm sure, the feet of clay, is something we still use today when someone appears strong, but in reality, they have this hidden weakness that makes them vulnerable. You say, man, I thought that guy was perfect, but turns out he had feet of clay. Right now, COVID is exposing all of our gods, isn't it? All these things we've trusted so much and revealing that they're not as mighty as we thought. In fact, they have feet of clay. In a matter of months, the economy, the schools, the businesses, government, sports, entertainment, industry, travel, all of it, all the things that we propped up our lives with, the things that kept us busy and that we trusted and put our confidence in, they've all kind of come to a halt or crumbling down. It's as if God is using this time to shake us up in order to wake us up by exposing our little lesser gods and asking, hey, how's that working out for you? Because whenever you put your ultimate confidence in something or someone and, and you trust it, you, you, your hope is tethered to it. It's your source of comfort. It's your, it's your security. It's your go-to for stabilizing your life when things get crazy. Whatever it is that you give your allegiance to, that's your God. That is a God. And the one true God who made you, Yahweh, desires a relationship with you that, that allows you to sense how much God loves you and that you would love God back so much so that God says, I want you to put me first. When you, you come to the Ten Commandments, right? These sort of words that tell us how to really live the best life. They're not rules. They're, they're life-giving words. And God says, you want your life to work the best way possible? He says, let me be your one true God. That's the first commandment. Don't put any other gods before me. Number two is its cousin. It says, don't go after any other idols or false gods. So when they ask Jesus, hey, sum up all the Ten Commandments, he says, easy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus is describing a kind of loyalty and allegiance with God that would allow us to seek first the kingdom of God. Put your trust in me, Jesus says. But man... Do we ever love our other gods, don't we? The gift of COVID-19 is that every other God we've ever trusted has been exposed as flimsy and with feet of clay. Think about some of the gods that we lean on in normal times. I mean, one of the statues that seemed so strong was a sense of control, control. It was our God, man. I mean, we have the means to do anything. You got a problem? We'll fix it. We're Americans, you know? It's the modern age. We're not muddling around in some dark ages here, trapped in superstition. We're in control, right? And that's the narrative that's a towering God in our time. We love control. We worship control. We'll do anything to stay in control in our relationships, in our job, in our business, in our home. Guess what? We're not in control. If you're watching with someone, you can turn to them right now and just tell them you're not in control because we kind of figured that out over the last few weeks if we didn't know it before. We thought we were. We thought we were going to just do what we wanted, graduate, you know, run the business, plans for retirement, go on vacation, have a spring the way. All of that has feet of clay. And in a matter of weeks, the illusion of control came tumbling down, didn't it? How's that control thing working out for you? How about this? The God of social structures. I mean, we depend and love our social structures in our first world, don't we? You can get on the interstate and get on the train and get on a plane. 
You can go to the emergency room anytime you want. You got health care, you know, go to a restaurant, get your nails done, get your hair cut, everything, get your car fixed. It's all open. It's happening anytime we want on demand reality. But then COVID came and shut down all of our social structures, schools, agencies, stores, travel. It just exposes how much we built our sense of safety and security around all these comforts. It was our God in some ways. And now, Turns out it's got feet of clay. In a matter of weeks, we're all feeling kind of left out. You know, another God that we love, a God that we worship is freedom. It's a cousin to control. And man, we love our freedom, don't we? It tells me I can do what I want. I can go where I want. I can be what I want. No one can tell me otherwise. You can't hem me in. I'm free. And we prop up our lives on this illusion of kind of control and power and strength that comes by being free. And then, bam, guess what? And nobody can go anywhere. <laughs> you can't go. You got to stay home. And then we realize, oh my goodness, I'm not as free as I thought. I'm not free in the most important ways. And I think you see this when you see people kind of like go stir crazy in their homes. There's no, there's not a lot of contentment that I'm seeing. A little mobility was stripped away and we got all cranky and sad because it exposed the emptiness of the salvation that we were trusting in through what we thought is freedom. See, freedom allowed us to mask our real need. That's why, if you remember, wasn't that long ago, we were all just begging for life to come to a screeching halt. We're all running around like chickens with our heads cut off. We had, we had freedom to be involved in this or that. And boy, did we, right? We were all running around, sports, hobbies, businesses, all this stuff, eating out, going to the movies, go to downtown, whatever you want, whenever you want. We were free, but it was a kind of slavery. And inside, we lacked meaning. And we always wondered, what's it all for? We lacked hope. We lacked purpose. We were anxious. Do I need to remind us that suicide rates were already skyrocketing before this thing? Anxiety was off the charts, remember? And now that we're stripped of our freedom, our surface level freedom, we can't occupy our lives with all the stuff that cluttered up our days, all the stuff we hid behind, and the glaring truth of our emptiness and our sadness and our small little purposeless, purposeless lives are staring us in the face in such a haunting way. And this deep request for purpose and meaning has now surfaced. And there it is staring at us. Freedom was a God. And now it's gone. And I think God's stepping into this moment to shake us up, to wake us up, to say, how's that working out for you? Sometimes, C.S. Lewis says, God really speaks to us in our moments of pain, like with a megaphone. Maybe you sense God speaking to you. I know people who would say their God is science. That's their big, you know, towering statue that they adore. And we, and we do. We, we trust and adore science, don't we? We put our hopes in doctors. You know, science is the final arbiter of truth in our society. Let's be honest. You know, we're not going to open these businesses or schools or churches when we want. It's when science says so, right? And science is a good thing. We need to do good science and use good science for lots of things. But some of us, we're living in a kind of science never fails mentality. Like it's this all-knowing, all-powerful, unchangeable God of this age, our Savior, who will never let us down, except um, a novel virus from a bat snuck up on us and started making us sick and nobody could stop it. Hey, science, make it stop. Um, I don't know how. 
And then it started killing a bunch of people and spreading and moving across cities and nations until it has now engulfed the entire globe. And all the while, we kept screaming at our idols saying, do something, science. Scientists, do something. We ran articles and we did all these studies and all this stuff. And all they could say was, um, wash your hands. Keep your distance. We'll get a vaccine or something. This is the 21st century, doggone it. We get angry when our gods don't perform. But sometimes they just can't. They just can't deliver the good. What do you mean you don't have enough ventilators? It's going to take months to figure out a vaccine? We're working on it, and it's harder than it sounds, science says back. And all of a sudden, we're forced to remember it. <laughs> we're not as smart as we thought we were, and science isn't, I mean, for all it's good at, it's, it's a great tool, but it's a lousy God, and it can't save us because it's got feet of clay. And so now all of humanity stands powerless before a virus that has actually brought us to our knees. Maybe we need another God. Many of us have turned to consumerism. That, that's, that's where it's all about our wants. I get what I want, when I want, and if I want bacon, I go get bacon. If I want toilet paper, I go get toilet paper in bulk. And it's going to make me feel good and safe and secure and provided for, right? Guess what? Carla came home the other day and said, no bacon at the store, and they're out of TP. <laughs> so we've lost so many jobs more than at any time since the Depression, and the economy is so bad. Some of us, we can't even afford to buy all the stuff that we believed would fill us up. Now what? For these and so many reasons, consumerism is being exposed as a false god. It never did deliver what we wanted. It just creates a desire for more and tells us more, 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 more. And yet we're never content. It's always that next thing that you acquire and that will be it. It will fill you up and make you feel great. That next purchase, that next car, that next click on Amazon, that next gadget, that next upgrade, that next thing. It's an endless treadmill, isn't it? And we just run faster and faster, but never get any closer to the thing that really satisfies our souls. True contentment, true peace, because the God of consumerism just creates a big hole of want in the center of our hearts that no amount of stuff can never satisfy. And COVID has exposed all of the sham. And now this God and all the others, our trust in the almighty dollar, whoops, economy crashed. Oh, I'll bury myself in my work. Whoops, people lost their jobs. And those that are working are working so hard, it's burning them out and they can't stand to go to work. It's teaching us some humility before God because we're forced to see how fragile and fleeting life is. Psalm 90 reminds us we're just dust and to dust we return like grass. It's here today and gone tomorrow. We quickly pass away. You know, breathing is something we used to take for granted. Like it's a right, a given. But when you see strong, healthy people get sick, and then get hooked up on a ventilator just to fight for their next breath? And you see pictures of semi-trucks full of caskets sitting outside hospitals in New York City? It reminds us what the psalmist says, to number our days. Don't take any one of them for granted. Don't take any breath for granted. There's some humility in that. Because all the false confidence we have lived with, believing that our intermittent fasting and our whole life challenges and our probiotics and yoga would make us indestructible, and we'd be a, enough to save us. Now we're just like humbled and realize that putting your trust in health can be an idol and it'll let you down because human life is not a given. We're fragile and frail. Idolatry is when you trade in the true God 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for another God. When you say, I'm not, I'm not going to put my trust in you, God. I'm going to, I'm going to bargain with another God to come through for me. And we do this all the time. In the Old Testament, there's a story in the time of Elijah where God's people went after a God called Baal. They're like, we're going to make Baal our God. And they just kind of cast God to the side. And God said, let's clear this up. And so they kind of have a showdown up on a place called Mount Carmel, and they create this crisis. Elijah sets the stage. He he builds two altars side by side, puts a pile of wood on each one. And, and then after there's a pile of wood for Baal and a pile of wood for Yahweh, he says, okay, we're each going to call on our gods, and whoever answers by fire, that God's going to be the one true God. Everybody says, deal, let's rumble. And then there's a moment of truth. Elijah says, you go first. Now there's 450 prophets of Baal and another 400 or so that believe in Asherah, and they start calling on their God. God, help us. God, come through. And there's no answer. So they dance around and hype around and hop around some more. Nothing. Elijah sarcastic and says, hey, it looks like maybe your God's on vacation or out of town or taking a nap. But they just get more and more desperate and frantic. No answer. Their gods, Baal, leave them in the lurch in the moment of truth. And Elijah says, how's that working out for you? An idol isn't just some big Baal from long ago. It's anything we put our trust and hope in right now. Some of us, it might be booze. That's your idol. You can't live without it or, or food or cigarettes. Some of us have family as an idol. It's our God because we look to it to give our lives meaning and we feel like without it, everything would crumble. Or maybe it's your romantic interest or your spouse. If someone were to leave me, we say, I, I would fall apart. Or she says, my whole life surrounds him. She worships him. Or maybe it is your health. You know, exercise, aging cream, Spanks. <laughs> Friends, we're in a crisis right now on Mount COVID. And we're just like those priests. Our society's dancing around, desperately trying to get the gods to bail us out, come through, and be our deliverer. There's nothing wrong with loving your spouse or staying in shape or having a drink now and then. But when these things, when anything, become our first love, where you turn for your strength and your identity your protection, well, that's, that's a God who's going to let you down. You know what? Despite all the dancing around and calling on these gods, they never deliver satisfaction. They just can't. And so maybe if you just finally stop in the quiet of COVID, you can hear God saying to society, but maybe to you, how's that working out for you? How's your life really going right now? Back in the story, those guys calling on the Baal gods, they just finally collapsed in a depressed heap. And then Elijah poured water all over the altar three times to douse it so they knew it was only going to happen by a miracle. And Elijah said, God, show them. Show them your God. God, I'm asking you to show up right now so that these people will know that you are Lord God and that they will turn their hearts back to you. And bam, the fire of the Lord fell. Big old fire. And the people saw it and said, the Lord is God. That's what I've been praying for with all my heart for the last several weeks. For this church, for this community. For many people who've been struggling with putting their faith in all kinds of false gods. That all those gods would be exposed. And that all the things that 
are promised us in life by false gods and idols would be just revealed as so much is being stripped away and pulled out from underneath us. As all the sports and financial security and medical stuff and vacations are pulled away, that, that we would just do what they did on the mountain that day. Turn your heart to God. I believe God's at work in this coronavirus thing. I'm not saying he caused it. I don't think he gets his jollies from it, but I'm seeing God use it. He's not wasting it to wake us up to the thing we're most hungry for in life. And that's meaning and hope, purpose, joy, the love of relationship that connects us to something permanent that will never fade away. So can I encourage you to turn your heart to God? We have a big opportunity here. But first, you got to let go of your idols. You got to ask the hard question, what false God am I clinging to? Some of us have addictions that are being exposed right now. And you need to let them go because, let's get honest, they, 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 they promise so much, but they don't deliver it in your time of need. So what's your addiction? That thing you believe you can't live without. Think about it. You're attached to it so much, you feel like you can't live without it. It's maybe an activity or a food or a drug or a habit. Maybe if you're honest, it's vying for first place in your life because you order your schedule around it, your priorities, your expenses, your relationships around it, and God and everyone else take second place. You think you'd die without it, and the idea of letting it go scares you. And it's giving you the illusion of control, but I'm telling you, you know it and I know it. It's enslaving you. It's the illusion of relief, but it feeds this cycle of powerlessness and shame, and it's a false God, and it won't deliver. God doesn't tell us not to love spouses or hobbies or things like that. But save your deepest affections, your real dependence for the Lord. Because everything else will leave you empty and ultimately dissatisfied. They can't deliver what we're truly hunger for. As we close, let me give you a way to think about some of the false gods that may be vying for your loyalty. Here's what you do. Pay close attention to your fears. Think about your fears. Apprehension is understandable right now, obviously, but excessive fear is a clue. Worry about something you can't let go will often reveal a false God that you're clinging to. You follow the trail of your fear and it'll lead you to something that you're trying to put in place of God. And you're worried to death that it's not working, it's not satisfying, and it's going to be stripped away and you're nervous about it. And that's where our fears come from sometimes. What are you most afraid of? Losing everything, getting sick, someone leaving you, getting old, losing out, dying, someone dying on you. Those are bad things, horrible things. But listen, a heart that trusts in God isn't going to be ruined by any of those things. You'll hurt, it'll sting, but... Despite the grief, it's not going to ruin you. Second Corinthians says, we might be pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We might be perplexed and confused by what's going on, but we're not driven to despair. We might feel like we're being hunted down, like when is this going to stop? But we, we're never abandoned and alone. 
God's with us and we know it. And we might get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. A heart set strongly on the Lord as your number one has an anchor that holds no matter what. A faith that's unflappable, a peace that passes understanding, and a joy in any circumstance. Even if everything I love and value in this life is stripped away, I know that the Lord Jesus Christ is not going anywhere. And guess what? He's the thing. He's the one we're most hungry for anyway. So don't give your love to anything you can lose. Don't give your hope, your your attachment to satisfaction or contentment to anything that you can lose. Instead, turn to Jesus. Because the thing we really want is not more toilet paper or bacon. It's bread. It's bread. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. You come to me, you'll never go hungry. You believe in me, put your hope and confidence in me. I will never let you down. If someone gave you a loaf of bread back then, you'd say, ah, what a delight, what a gift. Ah, thank you. It was a gift. It was practical because you could eat. You'd be satisfied. You'd be filled up. That's Jesus. It's not a religion. He's not a belief system. He's the bread of life, a gift to delight in. And a practical fulfillment of the thing you long for the most. Jesus says, don't waste your time going after bread that spoils and in the end doesn't satisfy. What you need to do is let go of all that stuff and turn to Jesus. Name what you're going to let go of. Surrender it, drop it, and turn to the bread of life. And he will hold you. He is there. He loves you and you can trust him. And no matter what happens during coronavirus or the rest of your life or all eternity, Jesus will fulfill your deepest longings and provide you with unshakable hope and unstoppable joy.